Good morning, everybody. My name is Ashley. This is Nathan. Um, and I'm part of the teaching team here at Catalyst. Today, I'd like to start off by telling you guys about the time that fabric softener broke me. <laughs> now, for you to really understand and really get the feel of how something so simple could break such a strong, independent person such as myself, um, you really have to understand the larger setting of the story. So I was in Greece for six weeks, which is just long enough. It's not like a little two-week, one-week vacation. Um, it's like obviously six weeks is much longer than that. So it's just long enough that you really can't like fake it till you make it. So my housemate and I, uh, we're going to go meet some friends at the bus stop and bring them up to our house. And so the bus stop was about a mile from our house. And we like, we're staying up on, when I say we're staying up on a mountain, I am not exaggerating. Um, so we're like staying up on like literally the side of a mountain. Um, and so you just like had to walk downhill basically the whole time, um, to get to the bus stop. It was about a mile. And we also like needed to pick up some stuff from the grocery store for dinner. And so we made the plan. He'd wait outside um, for our friends at the bus stop. I would go into the grocery store, pick up the groceries that we need. So the first thing that went wrong of many uh, was about five, 10 minutes before we're gonna leave, uh, it started pouring down raining. And um, I'm gonna tell you that when you pack one single suitcase uh, for six weeks, the thing you don't pack is a rain jacket or an umbrella. So we're like, all right, I mean, we're just gonna have to make it work. So we put on our jackets, we head down um, literally the mountain um, to the bus stop slash grocery store. And so we get there, I run in, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna make this really quick. He stays outside literally in the pouring rain and um, I get start getting the groceries. Now, for anybody who's ever been to another country, you might know shopping is not easy in another language. First of all, people like get really irritated with you, especially like in Europe, because you look like a stupid American, because you are. Um, and so you like, whatever. So, so most of the stuff that I need was pretty easy, right? Avocados that we were gonna make with dinner, some bread, those are very easily recognizable things. But then I have to get laundry detergent. And so that would be the second thing that went wrong um, is that I get over to that side of the store and there is an entire aisle of detergent, which first of all was overwhelming. And then like immediately after that, the third thing went wrong um, in that none of the bottles looked like the bottle at our house that we like already had in our house when we had got there. So I'm like trying to be quick because there's literally people waiting out in the rain and I'm like just so overwhelmed by this aisle of laundry detergent or I think some of it was like detergent like for the sink and like there's all it was very overwhelming. So then of course the fourth thing that went wrong is like I couldn't translate any of it. Um, like my phone Google Translate would, wouldn't pull up and so I basically ended up picking the one that I had logically deduced aka just 100% convinced myself had to be the right one. It was the most colorful. It was shaped kind of like the one we had at the house that we were in. So I was just gonna go with it. So I rushed to the checkout, which also ended up being a mess because it's a different currency and it was just whatever. So after like 20 minutes in the store, again, 20 minutes of my friends waiting out in the rain, I rushed back out. And then of course the fifth thing goes wrong in that my housemate is there um, by himself. So I asked him, you know, where are our friends? And he said, they haven't shown up. Um, two buses have already come and gone. 
And so like, okay, we'll wait for the next bus. And then if they don't show up, we'll just go back up to the house and we'll try and call them from there. And so of course they didn't. So like, okay, after like a not so successful trip, we go on literally back up the mountain and we get back to the house. We talk to our other housemates about like what happened. One of them starts dinner and one of them starts laundry. And so I like, I'm like, all right, I dry off, go to relax after a very stressful, like 45 minute trip. And um, a few minutes later, uh, my housemate comes up to me and says, uh, this is not laundry detergent. And I was like, what do you mean it's not laundry detergent? This was logically the most correct one. And she said, this is laundry conditioner, <laughs> which right now is funny, but then it was just like the last try. I'm like, breakdown, I mean, full on chest heaving, my face is red, like uh, ugly crying to the extreme. Basically, like, all that all that stress in the store, rushing around for nothing, like, I can't even buy laundry detergent now. Like, what is, I just want to go home, you know? It's just this feeling of, like, just really being exhausted by not being able to do basic things, like, buy laundry detergent. Um, or even, like, go to a grocery store or meet up with friends. Um, it was just, like just the last straw being so overwhelmed by being in a just a completely different setting that I was than what I was used to. And honestly, like with COVID, especially the longer and longer it goes on, it's I've had that same feeling. And I'm sure it's a feeling that a lot of you guys share this feeling that like, I just want to go home, like back to the way things used to be pre COVID. Um, where you can where you know what to expect when you walk into a grocery store where you when you meet up with friends. It regularly feels like I'm like really far from home and I'm just trying to make my way in this place that's so different, it almost feels like a different culture and it just feels like everything's fighting against me. I'm, I'm sure a lot of you guys know what that feeling is like. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about those feelings and I hope after we get done talking that you will discover much like I did um, that this worship space, um, whether we're virtual like this or whether we're in person, um, this space is our home. It's our safe space, um, even when everything in the world, um, in our lives is turbulent. So uh, as we prepare to worship this morning, I really urge you to be present with us. I know it's difficult when we're at home, um, but this worship set, Nathan created it so that we might be healed by it. Um, so let yourself be here, be safe in this space, and let's worship together. Boop. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, welcome to the season of Epiphany. Um, Epiphany is a time in the church year where we ask who God is. So God just came to us on Christmas um, a few long weeks ago, and um, now we're asking who is this, this God who came to us. So this year, our series is called Deep Breaths. Um, we're at the beginning of 2022, almost two years into the COVID-19 pandemic, and we're all tired. Uh, we're all wondering how many more variants are we going to have to deal with? How much longer until we can just relax a little bit? And honestly, the idea of doing more right now is exhausting. And so we're not doing. In this series, we're just resting. We're resting in who God is. So in both the Greek and the Hebrew, uh, the same word means breath as it means spirit. And so 
as we breathe deeply here at the beginning of the year, we're also pausing um, to make space for God's spirit to fill us and energize us. Um, so given the last couple of years, you know, I feel like we could really use some comfort, um, some of God's presence. And we all want to know, when is this going to be over? So we began two weeks ago, not with a call to ignore our pain and, and our questions, but just with an assurance that God sees us, God hears us, God loves us. And then last week we discussed how important it is to really name our pain. So this week we're going to discuss what a strong faith in crisis looks like, uh, kind of like a crisis we've had the last two years. And if I'm being entirely honest, um, having a strong faith in the midst of this pandemic is uh, not something that I have excelled at. Um, repeatedly, I felt like, ugh, like, why can't we go back to the way it used to be? Okay, okay, just just one more week, just one more month, just one more break, just one more variant, etc. And then we'll get back to normal. And then uh, we don't. <laughs> so that's kind of similar to the feeling in Greece, right? We, uh, we hope uh, want, wish that everything's going to be back to normal soon. But if we're being honest, like we're not in another country right now. There really isn't like going back to the way things used to be. And so this end to this pandemic is actually this kind of unknown new beginning, which is somehow more anxiety ridden. Um, so with that change, um, it's really been difficult to have a strong faith. Like I said, lots of anxiety, lots of questions. When is the hard part going to be over? When's it going to get easier? What is the new normal going to look like? Uh, there's just like too many unknowns in any given day to really feel settled. Um, and feeling settled is like how it's very easy to have a, a strong faith whenever you feel settled and like confident in what each day is going to bring. And so that's like really been one of my biggest struggles in the midst of this whole thing. And I'm sure many of you, or at least I hope many of you are also feeling the same way. Um, you know, everything's different. Everything has changed and everything is somehow harder than it was before, like every day. And for generations, um, for generations, no, that sentence is in the wrong place. Anyway, today we'll be looking at Nehemiah 8. Um, so go ahead and start clicking over there, Google searching it, whatever you want to do. Um, and I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Um, Nehemiah actually takes place after the exile. So Nehemiah as the person is actually the man who led the exiles um, to return home. He's the guy who really had to navigate the like complex realities that we talked about last week um, with the exiles, you know, returning to like merge back into the group of people that stayed. He's leading this group um, and they were so excited, right? We're finally going home after 70 long years. And so they finally get back and everything is just like, okay. Um, so Nehemiah, you know, tells the story of how they worked to recreate their home. And so the first major project that they kind of um, encounter, that they kind of start on, is to rebuild the wall around the city. Um, and so at this time, any city of any size had a wall around it in the ancient world. It was kind of how the government like protected its citizens and made sure they had space to grow and like really thrive. 
And so the fact that Jerusalem, especially as the capital city, had gone almost a century, almost a hundred years with no wall, was this kind of like, it's really embarrassing to God's people. And so our passage today actually takes place just after they finished rebuilding. So they finished rebuilding and they like have this huge gathering. This like what's supposed to be a celebration. This is supposed to be this like joyous occasion. I mean, if you really think about it, like put yourself in those shoes. They finally come home, like actually come home after 70 years. Like they finally even a, that's not it. They haven't only come home. They've like come home and accomplished this really good thing in their home. This is like concrete evidence that God is with them. So given that, like the way that people actually react is a little surprising. So let's go ahead and read. We're going to start in verse one. It says, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. To his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maziah. To his left stood Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hajum, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshalam. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen as they lifted their hands and they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Hamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Masiah, Kalitha, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah, then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So when presented with the word of God, the people wept. And like, that's kind of weird. I mean, again, this is supposed to be a joyous occasion, right? They've just finished the wall. They've gathered to celebrate this like really concrete evidence that God is with them. God brought them back from exile. God is healing their people and like, they weep um and so like here's why so if we kind of um understand what they were hearing we might kind of understand why they're weeping so what is being read to them is the torah which is essentially what we understand to be the first five books of the bible and all five of those books can essentially be boiled down to this one essential idea it's found in exodus 19:5. it says now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. 
although the whole earth is mine, here it is, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So now that passage is very interesting. Feel free to go read it. But um, what God is calling God's people to is to be a kingdom of priests for a hurting world. So that the ultimate result being the world might also have a relationship with God. And so these people who have come back from exile, who have finished this thing that should be happy, are just, they're presented with that and they're overwhelmed. They weep and they mourn. And it could be for any number of reasons. Like maybe they realize they really aren't participating in that call. Or maybe they're just like so focused on themselves. They can't really see what God is doing now um, for them. And so they weep for their shortfallings. They're just like really upset about it. And you know, like I definitely get that. I'm, I know I'm not the person that I wish I could be or I feel like God wants me to be. And I mean, especially right now in the midst of this pandemic, right? Like everything is harder before you even add on the emotional turmoil of a pandemic, the interpersonal strife with politics the way they are now, the financial stresses of, am I going to lose my job any day? How am I going to feed my kid tonight, etc. But Nehemiah tells them, don't weep, don't mourn. And you know, if I'm being honest, when I first read the first, like probably five times I read this text, I just entirely skipped that part because the Bible tells you a lot, don't weep and don't mourn. And that kind of is irritating to me because I'm definitely the person that's like, if I need to cry, I'm going to cry. And even the Bible and God cannot tell me not to cry. So, so then JR, being the good uh, person that he is, made me actually read it um, and look into it more. And I kind of had this realization um, that the people are weeping right now. Okay. And it's a reasonable response to their situation. But Nehemiah is not saying, don't weep because of the situation you're in. Nehemiah is saying, this space that you're in right now is a space apart from that. So you can weep all you want while you're not in this space because that's reasonable and you should be weeping because this is a great time of grief and mourning. But when you're in this space, it's a space apart from that. It's like a break from all of the grief and mourning and everything like that. Nehemiah like knows his people. So we have to believe he's not just saying like, you guys probably want to cry, but just don't right now. Just be happy. He really is saying like, you are experiencing this great grief. You, it's heavy to experience that so constantly. So take this space. This space is intended for you to be healed not for you to feel guilt or shame. This is not what any of that was intended for. This space is a space for you to be healed. So, and I'm telling you as well, I think Nehemiah is speaking to us as well. This space, this worship space is um, intended to be a space of healing apart from the grief. It's, it's so much to carry that grief constantly that you need a space to just lay that grief down for a minute and just breathe and be healed a bit so that you can pick it up again when you leave or not, however you want to handle that. Um, and that's what Nehemiah is really saying here. So then obviously that brings up the question, are churches supposed to be a space where like anything goes as long as you show up? Like we're not supposed to weep. So like God doesn't care about our sin. 
Like, we just come together, we sing kumbaya, whatevs. Okay, no, of course that's wrong. Um, so if you really think about it, right, the call is to be a kingdom of priests, okay? And God invites us into this space so that we can be healed and so that we might be formed into that, right? If you're carrying all of this grief and longing and suffering, you can't really focus on this other path that God is calling you to. So this space is meant to be a space where we can be healed apart from everything else that's going on and see what God is doing so that we can be formed into that kingdom of priests for the ultimate result that we can show the world what God is doing. If you don't come into this space, if you don't um, be here, be present, then it's really hard to see what God is doing in the day-to-day. -day. And I'm sure a lot of you feel that way. It's like we said in the beginning, it's really hard to have a strong faith in a crisis like this. So we need this space that is apart from everything else. And if you notice, we open each week with a call to worship, a call into this space, an invitation. And we end every gathering with a blessing, a recognition, okay, we're leaving this healing space apart from everything else. And that means going back into the world that is hurting. And if, if you're grieving and mourning, picking up that grief and, and all of that and bringing that back out there again. And I mean, even in the midst of our gathering, we pass peace. We practice bringing healing and peace into the world from this worship space. And so that's why we don't say something like, oh yeah, your vaccination status, oh, it doesn't matter. We're just here to love one another. Or like, hey, you're like a xenophobic racist. Well, that's cool, like whatevs. Like, we don't do that because this space is a space where we are formed into a people to show the world who God is. We cannot do that if this is a place, if this is not a place where people can come and be emotionally and bodily safe and cared for and loved. So in other words, right, this is a space for transformation and for healing. That is why Nehemiah is telling us not to weep, not, not because we shouldn't express our feelings, that we shouldn't mourn or grieve bad things, but because there is a much larger picture that we get to be a part of. This bigger picture, right? The Judeans are, they're back from exile. The exile is over. They're home. Yes, they still have problems, but the wall is finished. The first step in this huge, long process is done. God is literally creating spaces that are safe inside the wall for them to grow and be a kingdom of priests, the one that God is calling them into. So I don't know how you entered this space today. Maybe you came looking for healing. Maybe you came carrying that shame and guilt and mourning. But can you imagine today that God isn't finished, not with you or with anyone else? Can you imagine that maybe Maybe God's just getting started. So why don't you practice believing with me as we sing another song? 
So after telling the people not to weep, Nehemiah goes on to say, this is verse 10. He says, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So uh, Nehemiah is saying, like, we should be celebrating this larger picture because it reframes the current struggles, the current grief, the current mourning. And this is a place where we can learn. Um, in this case, I think it would be especially helpful if we learn from our African counterparts. So um, throughout the 1960s, when the African nations were like overthrowing their colonial oppressors, they drew from what's called liberation theology. So liberation theology is grounded in the story of the exodus from Egypt. So in the same way that God overthrew Pharaoh, who was really corrupt and liberated God's people, so too God would overthrow the colonizers and liberate God's people there as well. Um, but in the wake of liberation, African Christians faced this problem. So we've been liberated, um, but what do we do now? Um, what's our theological framework when Pharaoh has already been cast down? Like we can't uh, stay in this kind of liberation theology if there is no Pharaoh. Um, and so the Kenyan theologian, Jesse Mungabi says, um, reconstruction theology is the answer, reconstruction theology. And so this is what he says, this is a quote from him. He says, Theologically, the conversion experiences of Moses, Nehemiah, and Paul are very instructive for the processes of liberation and reconstruction. Moses, which is again, time of the Exodus, right? He reconstructs the collective consciousness of his people. He gives them the courage to defy Pharaoh and proceed into the wilderness, into this unknown. In a similar manner, Nehemiah, our guide today, uh, he reconstructs the collective consciousness and he reconstructs the collective consciousness of the disenfranchised people and gives them hope to rebuild their society. So Mungambi tells us that in order to move forward, in order to rebuild, we need to reframe our understanding of who we are into one specifically of reconstruction. This reconstruction, this is that larger picture of God's movement in the world. So the hope for rebuilding is what Nehemiah is calling us to celebrate. In a world divided uh, between exiles and those who remained in Jerusalem, between liberals and conservatives, between all of the different races, Nehemiah calls us to join together, not to come together and sing Kumbaya, but to join together in this rebuilding, in this reconstructing that is God's work. God has chosen God's people in every place we find ourselves, whether we're oppressed, corrupted, exiled, rebuilding, even in a pandemic, God is still moving. God is still choosing us every time. God's ability to change us is better than our sins and our failures. And I'd say that's something we're celebrating. 
Nehemiah is not telling us to ignore our problems and pretend everything is fine, right? We talked about that last week. Naming our issues, naming our problems is very important. But Nehemiah is saying when we enter into this space, we focus on what God is actively doing, what God is moving us towards, not what we may be struggling and carrying right now. This space is a space to put that stuff down and focus on God's way, God's path, and what he's actively doing in the world. Because in order for us to show the world the way to God, we have to be able to see God and what God is doing. This is a space where God invites us so that we might be that kingdom of priests for a hurting world, so that we might go out into that hurting world and create little spaces just like this one where others might come and lay down their grief, lay down their burden, and find rest in that larger picture as well. We celebrate that space by coming to the communion table. Jesus shared this meal with his followers, inviting them to follow him to the cross. They didn't. Uh, at that time, they still had a lot of growing to do. But after his resurrection, Jesus shared the meal with them again. And they shared it every time they worshiped together because they understood that this is a space Jesus created for us to celebrate Jesus' death for us and to grow into his example. Before we come to the table, I'm going to lead you in what's called a prayer of examine. So I'm going to offer you a couple of different questions to reflect on prayerfully. And then at the end, I'll pray for all of us and we will um, receive communion together. So the first question is, when in the last week did I experience God's invitation to heal and grow? The second question is, when in the last week did I focus on fear, anger, or shame instead of God's love for me?
The third question is, when in the next week might I be tempted to focus on fear, anger, or shame? And the last question is, how can I rest in God's love for me? Let's pray. God, you have gathered us today that we might be healed. Thank you for welcoming us as we are so that you can shape us into the people you created and that you call us to be. We confess that like our spiritual ancestors, we often come before you in a spirit of fear or shame or grief or mourning. We see only how we don't measure up to your call. So thank you for reminding us again today that your invitation has nothing to do with our performance and everything to do with your great love for us. As we come to your table now, bringing whatever elements we have that we've been able to gather, we pray that they would be a spiritual food for us. As we receive them, may we also receive your infinite love and remember that it is the source of our transformation. Thank you for making us your people. We offer these prayers and receive this meal in the name of your son, Jesus. Okay. Um, so um, in this upcoming week, I would really urge you uh, to create just a single space um, to rest in God's love, to rest in that healing space. Now, that could just be literally one minute where you remind yourself of who God is. It could be your car ride into work or wherever. Um, it could be 30 to 45 minutes that you spend reading and praying. Whatever that space looks like for you, I would urge you to create just a small one so that you can be healed and so that you can see what God is doing so that you might 
bring that to your friends, bring that to your family as well. So as you go today, um, in this week, may God's presence surround you. May you have spaces to rest in that presence and in that love. Go in the grace and the peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.